You've heard me talk about this TV pilot for years now. Well, guess what? It's finally happening. The show that we're calling Let's Never Meet, based on the stories directly from the podcast, is now in production. However, we're doing this thing all on our own. I'm working with some talented filmmakers to bring this show to life, but we definitely need your help. We've started an Indiegogo campaign to help cover the cost of production. The more we raise, the more stories we can film, and the better it's going to be. We need your support to cover the cost of paying the cast and crew, equipment fees, props, and wardrobe, plus a bunch of other expenses that go into producing an episode of a TV show. If you just go to letsnotmeettv.com or follow the link in the show notes and donate today, you'll get access to all kinds of perks, like lifetime Patreon access, private screenings, producer credits. You could even be an extra on the show. So please help us make this dream a reality. Help us bring this podcast to life on the big screen or whatever size screen you watch things on. I know this thing is going to be great. Again, that's letsnotmeettv.com or follow the link in the show notes to help fund our project, Let's Never Meet. For now, enjoy the show. My name is Andrew Tate, and this is Season 8, Episode 20 of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. I graduated high school in 2016. I lived in an insanely small town, and I was really excited to move to a bigger area where no one knew me. I moved to a city three hours away and attended hair school. The hair school that I attended had two locations that were probably 40 minutes apart from each other. Maybe once a month, one of the locations would have a guest artist. This is a popular hair instructor or businessman or woman, that would come and be a guest speaker at our school. We would all go to the other locations to attend these events. The only people that would stay at my school would be a receptionist and maybe a hair instructor until all of the students would come back an hour or two later. This specific day, there was a guest artist at one of the other hair schools. So everyone who attended my location didn't show up until about 12 or 1 p.m. After the guest artist, I drove back to my hair school to take clients and get my day started. When I arrived, I walked up to the front desk and noticed the receptionist, who we'll call Haley, looking a little uncomfortable. I asked Haley what was going on, and she stated that she got to the school to open the doors and there was a man waiting outside. She opened the door and explained to him that the students wouldn't be at the school until about 12 or 1 p.m. The man insisted on sitting inside to wait for the students to return to get his hair cut. Haley let him in, and the man sat down in the waiting area on the only couch that would allow him to see the cutting floor. This is where all the students cut hair. Let me explain the layout of the school. If you walk through the front doors, you will see the reception desk in front of you, a waiting room, and a hallway to the bathroom on your left, as well as a couch on your right for people to wait on. 
Behind the reception desk, there was a half wall and behind that was the cutting floor. Haley told me that he had been sitting here, staring at her for an hour, but when she asks if there's anything he needs, he says no and breaks eye contact for just a bit and then continues as she moves on. Haley wanted him to get his hair cut and get out because he was making her uncomfortable. Me being eager to make some money and get experience, I told her that I would take him as my first client. Haley thanked me and gave me his name. We'll call him Dan. I walked to the cutting floor, set up my items, and then walked back to the front. I stood a couple of feet in front of Dan's general area, and I was calling his name. Dan stood up and towered over me. Keep in mind, I'm five foot two, 120 pounds, and I'm only 18. This man must have been six foot four, 300 pounds, and maybe in his 50s. I walked Dan back to my chair and started asking him general questions on how he would like his hair cut. Dan gives me the answers that I needed. I drape him, and I start the cut. Being a hairdresser, you sometimes need to make small talk, otherwise it can get pretty awkward. So I started asking him questions such as, where are you from? Do you have any pets? Etc. Now while we are talking, I notice that Dan hasn't broken eye contact with me since sitting down. Dan is staring at me through the mirror. Now I thought it was strange, but I didn't think too much of it because you meet a lot of different personalities when you're cutting hair, that is. I decided to stop talking and to just hurry up the process of cutting his hair. He must have noticed that he made me feel uncomfortable. So Dan started asking me questions to keep me talking. The first thing he asks is, You must have Irish or Scottish ancestry, huh? I looked confused and I said yes and asked him how he could tell. Dan told me that he can see an auburn tint in my dark brown hair when the light hits it just right. The next questions were continuous. Let me guess your 5'2" maybe weighing 130 pounds? I didn't respond, I just kept cutting his hair. Does a pretty little thing like you have a boyfriend at home? I again ignored what he was asking me. Almost done with his haircut, I focused on that, just finishing up. I finished up his neckline and told him he was done. I didn't ask him if he liked it, and I didn't grab an instructor to check his hair like we're required to do. Dan turned the chair around to look at me directly now and said, I want you to wash my hair. I need these itchy hairs off. Now, Dan is a big creep, but I didn't feel like he had done anything to me to decline him service, at least not yet. I apologized for assuming he didn't want the service and asked him to follow me back to the shampoo bowl. Dan and I were the only two people in the shampoo room. While washing his hair, Dan kept making these moaning sounds. His breathing got shallow. I started to get very uncomfortable all over again. Just when I thought it couldn't get worse, Dan opens his eyes and looks at me. He says, If I tell you something, will you not hold it against me? I didn't answer, I just shook my head yes, trying to hurry the process along. 
I've been coming here for a while, and I like to watch you girls cut hair. I've been deciding who I want. I've wanted a little girl like you to wash my hair for a while now. I awkwardly laughed at Dan and told him I needed to grab a towel to dry him off and asked him to wait at the shampoo bowl. I immediately ran to one of the instructors who immediately knew I was extremely uncomfortable due to the red rash all over my neck and chest. I told her the situation and asked her what I should do. My instructor advised me to towel him dry and send him out immediately. Don't waste time styling or blow drying his hair. I did exactly what she advised. I asked Dan to follow me back to the chair. Towel dried his hair and asked him to leave. Dan again was making constant eye contact through the mirror with no smile on his face. He said, And what if I don't want to leave? Are you going to call the cops? I changed the subject and asked him to stand, please, so that I could get a picture of his haircut. He was reluctant and told me he didn't want his photo taken. I somehow managed to talk him into letting me take the photo of him. Now, I didn't want to take the picture of his haircut at all. Honestly, it was a hack job. I felt like I needed to take a picture of him to show my instructor who he is, and maybe show the cops in case this creep follows me home or something like that. I'm very surprised that he didn't notice that I only got a picture of the front of his face, and I didn't even take a picture of the sides or back for his haircut picture. Since he was already standing for the picture, it was easier for me to quickly walk away to the front. He followed. I said goodbye and left him at the front to pay for his haircut. I walked back to my chair relieved and so grateful he was gone. I told one of my friends, we'll call her Ashley, how creepy and scary Dan was and how he made me feel so uneasy. I told Ashley that I would be in the bathroom to calm down in case anyone needed me while I was gone. Now, if you remember, the bathroom was up at the front of the school and to the left. If you were coming out of the bathroom, you could see the front desk. But if someone was at the front checking in, you would only see their back until you walked into the waiting room. While I was in the bathroom, I padded cool water on my face, neck, and chest to get the redness to go down. I was probably in the bathroom for 10 to 15 minutes. As I'm walking out and down the hall to go back into the waiting room, I see Ashley running towards me, looking frazzled and concerned. I catch a glimpse behind her and I see Dan's back at the front desk. Tears are now welling up in my eyes. Why is he back? Is he looking for me? All these thoughts rushed through my head as Ashley pushed me back down the hall and into the bathroom. As soon as we were in the bathroom, Ashley told me that Dan had came back and he was asking Haley to go grab me because he needed to see me. Haley, knowing how creepy he was, informed him that I had left for the day. Dan became irritated and kept telling her, he knows I'm still here. He needs to see me. Now. Haley again told him that I had left for the day and would not be back. Haley asked Dan to leave, otherwise the cops would be called. Dan was visibly upset and told Haley that when she sees me, because he knows I'm still here, that I need to delete his photo. Now Dan left after 10 minutes of asking for me at the front. Once he was gone, Haley got Ashley and I out of the bathroom. 
They took me into our instructor's office to sit down in case he came back. My instructor came in and asked to see a photo of Dan. When I showed her the photo, she froze. My instructor immediately apologized to me and said that if she would have known who it was, she would have never let me cut his hair. The owner of the hair school then came into the office and let us know that he's seen this man come into the school for months. He would come in, sign in for a haircut, sit on the couch, and watch the students that were cutting hair. When he would be called back to get his haircut, he would change his mind and leave. It got so strange, and he would do this so often that the owner had to tell him to leave multiple times. So you may be wondering, how was he able to come back in and sign in to get his haircut over and over? He was using a different name, and every time he would come, he would change his appearance in some way. My instructor took this picture and put it at the front, letting the other employees know that we would not be providing services to this man. The cops were also called and the parking lot was checked before I left that day. Even though they said he wasn't on the property, I still felt like he was watching me, not breaking eye contact with me while doing so. I finished hair school and managed to never see him again. But to the creep who would sit at the hair school and watch girls, let's never meet again. So last year, my friend asked me to go out for a few drinks. I told her I could only have one because I had an orientation for volunteering the next day. We went to a brewery, we got carried away, and ended up drinking more than planned. The place was closing at 11, so I went to the bathroom before they closed. When I came back, my friend was talking to this interesting guy. I noticed a photo on his phone of a guy who I'll call Sam that I had met years ago when I used to go out almost every single weekend. I said, oh, I know him. He told us that Sam was meeting him there. Now when Sam showed up, we all decided to walk to another bar together. When we got to this bar, my friend left because she and her partner had started arguing. The guy that we met at the brewery was being a dick, so Sam and I actually just left and went to his house for a beer. The weird thing is, his landlord, who was also his roommate, texted him and said that you have to move out. Now, we were being so quiet. I'm not really sure why this happened. Sam asked me if I had anywhere that he could go. So, I got us a cab back to my place. I figured we would have a beer and he could sleep on the couch for the night. While at my place... He opened up about his former partner and how he was abused by him and how he had to leave his cats with him and then all of his cats died. He said that he cried for hours. Then at one point he said, Kiss me. I responded, I can't, dude. We're both gay. He laughed and went on about his life and started crying again. I sat and listened, trying to be as supportive as possible. I felt really bad for the guy. 
He seemed like he needed a friend. But then something switched. He looked at me and said, I'm going to kill you. I smiled and said, what do you mean? He replied, I mean it. I'm going to kill you. You have to go. I said, no, it's okay. You're okay. And I got up to put on some animal planet in hopes that it would calm him and distract him. I didn't sit next to him again, though. Instead, I got down on one knee in front of him. I'm not sure why. I guess just to come off as less threatening. He said, what are you doing? I just told you I'm going to kill you. You need to run. I said, you're okay. Do you need a snack? I got up and got him a glass of water. He started drinking the water and then seemed all right. I know I should have just said fuck politeness and asked him to leave, but he seemed like he was really troubled, and I wanted to get him out of whatever weird headspace he was in. After a few minutes, he started saying, Ferguson from Wentworth is going to kill me. And he said my cat was going to die in a few hours. Now, I figured maybe he was having some sort of mental breakdown. I didn't think he had done any drugs. He had no money. And I was with him the entire time. I felt abnormally calm throughout this whole experience, though. I only felt anxious when I went to the bathroom and left him alone petting my cat. I couldn't help picturing him just strangling her. At around 8 a.m., I finally called a cab to drive us to my car so I could drop him off. Before he left, he raided my fridge and stole some beer, saying, Sorry, as he shoved it into the top of his pants. He then had the audacity to get angry with me when I wouldn't drive him back to my place to get cigarettes. I told him he could have these because I only smoke when I drink. But I told him, no, I'm not going back, which is a big deal for me. I dropped him off and have yet to hear back from him. I don't have any social media, so I don't think I ever will. But I'm okay with that. And to the guy who told me he was going to kill me, let's not meet again. I was 13 at the time, and my family and I lived in a small addition in East Texas. We had just moved out of our house into the travel trailer that we would be in temporarily, as we were preparing to move to a whole new town with the rest of our immediate family members to this large property in which the other stories I have to tell take place. I'm the eldest of five girls in our family and was put in charge of my four younger sisters every time that our parents left the house. This happened to often be at night, as my parents would do their errand running back when Walmart was open 24-7. My sister Crystal was 10 at the time, Emma 9, Caitlin 4, and Megan was 3. The three older girls, which included myself, Crystal, and Emma, we're in charge of feeding and watering our dogs and cats as part of our daily chores. 
We had three outside dogs at the time, with two being on leads, and one who happened to adopt my family. The two on the leads were our German Shepherd and our Pitbull. The other one was a free-spirited boxer mix named Sammy. It was near the end of summer break, and the sun had just set when this incident occurred. Texas summers are scorching hot, so we usually waited until it was cooler in the day to feed the animals. That way they wouldn't be too hot and uncomfortable. This often meant going outside when it was dark, but we lived in a well-lit addition with a fenced-in yard that my sisters and I were very familiar with. We didn't feel uncomfortable going outside without flashlights, as we could see fairly well where our dogs were kept. However, the rest of the yard was mostly dark, so we never went where we couldn't see unless we were accompanied by an adult with a flashlight. I took it upon myself to feed and water all of the animals since my sisters were still getting settled into the travel trailer, and I was already done with putting my things away. Plus, I was faster than they were anyway, and it was dark out, so I didn't want them to be outside for too long. I had just finished feeding our pit bull and German shepherd, and I was walking back to our travel trailer, where Sammy was waiting for his dinner. As I poured Sammy's food into his dish, I heard something hit our fence, and then I heard a thud land on our side of the fence. Confused, I looked to see Sammy, who was the only animal of ours who hopped the fence to roam. He was next to me. His body language confirmed that he had heard it too. He was standing rigid, head low, fur standing up, and his tail was tucked. I began to feel uneasy as I confirmed with our other dog's body language that something or someone was in fact in a dark corner of the fence that faced the empty lot next to us. There were a lot of trees in that lot, and anyone could have walked from the road to our house through those trees. I immediately booked it into the trailer where my younger sisters were watching TV and playing. I locked the door behind me. I told my sister that someone was in our yard and to be quiet. We hid the youngest two girls underneath a large stack of blankets that we had in the corner of our bedding, then closed all of the windows making sure that they were covered before we grabbed weapons to defend ourselves. Adrenaline was coursing through me as I held a large butcher knife that I had grabbed from the kitchen drawer and stood in front of the door. The door itself wasn't strong, being that it was a travel trailer, and my biggest concern was making sure that whoever was out there would have to go through me first since I'm the oldest. Crystal was holding a broom, as she intended to beat the would-be intruder with it, and Emma had grabbed a small fire extinguisher that was by the kitchen counter. She intended to bash the would-be intruder in the head with it. Being that our father was a police officer at the time, it was instilled in us that we had to protect one another from the creeps of the world. We were fully prepared to do so. Aside from the TV still playing whatever movie my sisters had been watching, the air was still. My sisters and I were completely silent as we listened. The dogs began to raise hell while this intruder was walking across the yard. 
Had our German shepherd and Pitt been off their leads, this person would not have made it any farther than the fence line. But because we didn't want them getting out of the fence and getting hurt, we kept them on the leads for safety. Sammy stayed put as the first line of defense by the door. I could hear him emitting low, vicious snarls to warn the person that he was not playing around. We then heard the person walking around the house that we had just moved out of as our travel trailer was located next to the house. The front door of the travel trailer was facing into the yard away from the house, and we could hear them walking behind us in between the trailer and the house since we were all focused on the door. Sammy continued to stand his ground where he was, and all three dogs at that point were sounding scary as hell, which put us even more on edge. My sister and I were not permitted to have cell phones at the time, and our house phone had not been connected as we had just moved into the trailer. But, just as we heard the person walk away from the trailer and to the front of our old house, I remembered that I had an old Nokia phone that my sisters and I used to play pretend with. The battery still worked, but the phone itself was shut off and couldn't make any calls or texts. However, it could still call 911. I told Crystal to watch the door, and I went to grab the phone from the cubby that I had placed it in. I turned it on and immediately called for help the second I was able to pull up the keypad. The dispatcher informed me that a unit was on the way, and I resumed my position at the door with the butcher knife as I handed the phone to Crystal to stay on the line with the dispatcher. I felt like hours had passed before we saw the headlights flashing to announce the cops' arrival as they pulled up to the front gate. We put away our weapons while we waited for him to jump the fence and approach the trailer door. Being that we didn't know where the intruder went, we weren't about to step foot outside so we didn't care that the cop was upset that he had to jump our fence. He did a shit job of looking around as well. He literally just looked left and right before he announced that no one was there, then left within minutes of showing up. We knew who this cop was, and he was in the same precinct that my dad was, so we made sure to tell my father how he handled the situation when our parents arrived about 30 minutes later. When they showed up, all five of us went outside to open the gate for them. As soon as we were able to spit out what happened, my dad told us all to go inside the trailer and lock the door while he searched the yard. He took his handgun and flashlight with him, and we watched from the window as he tactfully searched our old house before searching the yard. He checked on our dogs, who were extremely close to having snapped their leads to get to the intruder, and confirmed to us that there were large footprints leading from the fence where I first heard them land all the way up to the travel trailer and then to the house. The intruder made it a point to avoid our dogs, which wasn't hard to do as we had a large yard. They had to walk through the breezeway between the garage and the house where we heard them walking behind us and to the front of our old house. My father called it in and other units were advised that there was a perp out there. Days later, other houses in the area began to call in with reports about a man stalking through the addition, wielding a machete. I'm not sure if he was ever caught, as we ended up moving shortly after school started back. 
I can't help but think that the man they were looking for was the same man that jumped our fence. But I'll never know for sure. All I know is that now, almost 13 years later, I always carry a flashlight at night and I'm always alert when I'm outdoors at night, regardless if there's a fence or not. And to the creep who jumped our fence and then proceeded to stalk the outside of our home with five young girls terrified inside, let's not meet. One summer night, a family party was winding down. A bunch of the guys were about to start up a long, boring night of poker, so the girls decided to see a movie. The movie was Bridesmaids. We were all dying to see it. We had a pretty large group of about seven or eight, including me, my sister, and a few of my cousins. After purchasing our tickets and snacks, we headed into the theater. It was one of the first facing a large open lobby. The rest of the theaters continued down the corridor and off to the side. We piled into our row and settled in, all gritty after a day of drinking by the pool and ready to enjoy a comedy. I took the seat farthest into the row with some empty chairs to my left and my sister on the right. We were well into the movie and we were already laughing our heads off when a man, maybe in his 20s or 30s, enters the empty row in front of us and sits right in front of my sister. No major alarm bells went off at first, but something must have struck us both as odd, because my sister and I glanced at each other curiously. We quickly turned our attention back to the movie, though. It started to sink in why this felt a bit strange for me. It's a theater full of mostly women. The movie has already been playing for a while and this man is alone entering a dark theater with the baseball cap pulled down very low over his face. I'm one to trust my instincts, and I just sensed that something was odd about this, so I subconsciously kept an eye on him while trying not to alarm my sister, who was easily scared. I even wondered to myself, I guess some people like seeing movies alone, but he doesn't seem to be enjoying this movie. Maybe he's napping? This theater isn't that full. Why would he have to sit right in front of us? All of a sudden, I glance downward, and I notice a fucking hand. Now, while everyone in the theater is cracking up, this guy is slouched low in his seat, watching the movie, quote-unquote, with a seemingly deadpan expression, with his left hand now awkwardly reaching back behind him, poking through the space between the seats. Confused and alarmed, I nudged my sister and pointed down to what I saw. We stare at each other, mouthing things like, what the fuck? And just kind of laugh nervously, as we didn't really understand what was happening. It almost seemed like he was pretending to nap. This definitely wasn't a natural position for him to be sitting in, but we didn't know if he was attempting to grab our purse or was even trying to cop a feel. His hand wasn't moving around or anything, it was just eerily stretched back behind him, right in front of our legs. So we just shifted our knees to the side and tried to continue enjoying the movie. Now I'm on high alert, while 
still trying not to shift my anxiety to her. So, I keep calm but aware, making sure that I don't let my legs anywhere near this hand. A little while later, my cousin gets up to go to the bathroom and my sister decides to go with her. Maybe it's intuition, but I think to myself, if this guy gets up too, I'm making sure that he does not follow them to the bathroom. Sure enough, as soon as they leave the theater, he gets up and walks out right after them. I jump up so fast and swiftly scooted past my family, seeing confusion on their face as I passed. I didn't want to cause a scene in case I was being paranoid, but I just felt like I needed to act fast. As I bolt out of the theater after him, I see my sister and cousin already across the lobby, already reaching the ladies' room. The man isn't behind them, though. I'm confused for a moment. I'm wondering for a second if I was indeed overreacting. But where did he go? While frantically looking around for him, while standing in place, I saw that he was quickly walking down the corridor towards another theater. At this point, my sister came out to see why I rushed out, and he disappeared. As I'm nervously explaining to her that I thought that that guy was following them, I pointed down the hallway showing her which direction he went. As I'm doing this, I see his head peek out from behind a wall, down by the other theater. I yell, Holy shit, he is there! I just saw him peek his head out, he's hiding! He obviously was up to no good, and knew that I was onto him, so he made a run for it. We ran to grab security and explained what was happening to some of their theater employees. The security guard was ancient and no help to us at all, but some of the younger theater employees agreed that it was super creepy and called the police. A couple of officers came surprisingly fast and I explained everything. Because I couldn't really give them a great description of the man, the officer actually made me walk through all of the theaters with him to help point him out in case he was hiding there still. I was a bit nervous to do so, but I figured this man was long gone by now, probably slipping right out one of the exits that he was near. I'm glad I trusted my gut and seemingly scared off this creep. Who knows what his intentions were, but hopefully he didn't attempt them again. So, to the handsy creeper lurking in the dark theaters, let's not meet. This story happened when I was 10 or 11 years old. My mom had just remarried. She had a sister who I looked at to be my cool aunt, who I'll call Telly. My aunt Telly also had a daughter who was exactly 10 months younger than me. I'll call her Erin. My mom and Telly were pretty close as sisters. They often enjoyed dressing us as twins, even though we were not. My aunt Telly had not remarried, so her free-spirited relationship with my cousin Aaron was out of the norm to me. Plus, Aaron was an only child, so their inside jokes and little things that they did together sometimes made me feel like I wasn't included. My Aunt Telly would, on a few occasions, let me and Aaron play hooky, and sometimes let us scratch her lottery tickets for fun 
even though we didn't really know what they were for. I spent a lot of time with my Aunt Telly and Aaron back then. They even lived with us for a while, until Aunt Telly decided to rent a studio or mother-in-law suite from a lady who I'll call Trisha. Trisha's house was a large pink home with an apartment that was upstairs separate from the main house. Trisha had a son who I only remember meeting once or twice. He did not live there. He was, I'm assuming, about 10 years older than me and Aaron. Trisha also had a daughter who was about five years old at the time. She would often follow Aaron and I around the property to the swing set and even showed us her Barbie collection in her room. Aaron and I went to the same school, so my mom allowed me to stay over with my aunt and Aaron so that my aunt could bring us to school the next day. This would help out my mom. The apartment had a small kitchen, living room, a bathroom, and one bedroom. The entryway was a single door from the stairs into the kitchen and a set of French doors from the porch onto the bedroom. Aaron and I always slept in the bed with my aunt. The bedside that I slept on was closest to the French doors that led out onto the porch of the upstairs apartment. The neighborhood, I assume, was pretty safe then because I never remembered being told to lock the doors or having any concerns for break-ins. On this particular night, I remember being woken up to someone tugging my arm, thinking that it was my aunt, waking me up for school. Without opening my eyes, I pulled the covers over my head, covering my whole body now. After about three or four seconds, I pulled the covers down, expecting to see my aunt about to tickle me or get me up. Instead, I see the white parts of someone's eyes as they looked terrified, worried, and oddly familiar all at once. This person also seemed to be soaking wet, as if it had maybe been raining outside. Seconds go by and I realize this is Trisha. She's moaning and grabbing at my bedside for balance. She's drenched head to toe in blood. It was in her hair all over her face, making her almost unrecognizable. I sat up quickly and remember piercing the room with a desperate scream. My aunt next to me and Aaron on the other side of her both shot up quickly. Trisha seemed to collapse over my lap, passing out and almost trapping me under her weight. I squirmed out from underneath her. And that's when I remember I started hearing the alarm from the main house. It's like I didn't even hear it before trying to stand up out of bed. The three of us ran down to the back door of the main house. It was wide open. Glass covered the entryway floor. As a child, in shock, I even said out loud to my aunt and Aaron, Maybe this is a joke. But reality set in when we rounded the corner into Trisha's kitchen and saw the blood all over the floor and baseboards of the room. The cabinet door under the sink had blood smears all over it. It was also left wide open. The pipe under the sink was broken and laying in a pool of blood. My aunt tiptoed past the obvious chaos and into Trisha's daughter's bedroom. Somehow, this little girl had slept through the entire disturbance. My aunt carefully woke her up 
and guided her hand into mine and told me an errand to go to the neighbors across the street. It was at this moment that I saw the blood drying on my arms from Trisha trying to wake me. The rest of the night was a bit of a blur, even though I do remember not sleeping until the next day while missing school. The person who attacked Trisha was found about an hour later collapsed in someone's yard while trying to rinse off with a water hose. Trisha had fought back and managed to stab him twice. Later, he was identified as one of her son's friends, who was an addict. He had been over there with her son before. His plan, on his own, was to rob her when she was alone. Trisha survived after being hospitalized from being nearly beaten to death with the pipe from the sink. It took a lot of counseling for me to even be able to sleep in a room alone. I never returned to that house again. But to that guy who tried to rob Trisha, I hope your stay in prison wasn't a nice one. And most definitely, let's not meet. When I was 10 years old, I lived in a pretty bad area of a town near Chicago. However, us kids were still pretty free to roam wherever we wanted and had way too much freedom for the area we lived in. One day, I was at my friend's house playing, and I climbed up on the picnic table, not thinking about the fact that I was wearing a dress. The wind caught and blew the dress up. I was embarrassed, but we were all a bunch of kids, so no one really cared. The next day, we were playing at the same house when the kid's older brother that lived at the house uh, called down to me. He said that I needed to come up to their apartment to talk to him because I was in trouble. His brother was probably somewhere between 18 to 21. I was nervous, but I was raised to always listen to adults, so I went up to the apartment. When I entered the apartment, I noticed he locked the door behind me and asked me to go into the living room. I went into the living room, and he stood blocking the doorway. He then asked me why I pulled my dress up in front of his little brother. I told him that I hadn't. It was an accident. The wind caught my dress told me to stop lying, that I should pull my dress up for him as punishment. On this day, thankfully, I was wearing pants, so I said, I can't. I'm wearing pants. He told me to take off my pants then. I started to cry and could hear my friend, his brother, banging on the locked door, and I realized it was in a very scary situation. I told him that I didn't want to take my pants off and asked him to let me leave. He told me I could leave once I did what he asked. He was still standing in the doorway blocking my exit, so I wasn't sure what to do. I knew that if I did what he asked, it would only get worse. I noticed the way he was standing and the door left a little bit of a gap that if I were fast enough, I might be able to squeeze through. I took that moment and pushed my way through the door and ran to the locked door when my friend was on the other side. I went home and I told my mom everything. She took me to the police station where I told my story over and over again. They did go and take the man into custody, but he was only kept overnight. Since the early 90s, and they just didn't take these things very seriously back then. A week later, I saw him in our neighborhood again and told everybody that I was a liar. Thank goodness after that, I never saw him again. Guy who locked a little girl in his apartment, I hope we never meet again.
Don't forget to stick around after the music if you're a patron for your extended ad-free version of this week's episode. And if you want to get access to that, as well as all the past episodes and bonus content, head over to patreon.com forward slash let's not meet podcast to sign up and support the show today. And don't forget to check out the new episodes of our other podcasts. We have a new episode of Odd Trails, the true supernatural show, as well as the old-time radio cast. You can find them wherever you get your podcasts. This week, you have heard Hair Stalker by Sarah, A Very Unplanned Night by Alyssa, I Heard Them Jump Our Fence by Nikki, Movie Theater Creep by Andrea, Don't Wake Me for School by Ariel Miles, And finally, a voicemail from listener Casey. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast, is not associated with Reddit or any other message boards online. As always, if you have a story to share, make sure you send it to letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com. And just one last reminder, if you want to help fund this TV pilot, make sure you head over to letsnotmeettv.com or follow the link in the show notes to get access to all of those rewards and help this TV show become a reality. I'll see you all next week for a brand new episode of Let's Not Meet. Stay safe. This took place in 2010.